This program is brought to you by the Assembly of Geeks, geek content for a geeky world. Visit us at assemblyofgeeks.com. Another week, another smorgasbord of Star Wars content. We're all over the place in this episode, but the general theme is that Star Wars fans are the most creative, passionate fans out there. They create comics, fuss about forgotten concepts, and speculate about details big and small. Welcome to Sky Talkers This Galactic Life. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Sky Talkers This Galactic Life. I'm one of your hosts, Caitlin. And I'm your other host, Charlotte. So, Charlotte, a lot of things have changed for us since we last recorded. How are you yeah. doing? I'm good. I'm good. I live in Boston for Exciting. like three months. Yeah. yeah. And it's good. It's I'm here for an internship. And Caitlin and I are actually both in the Northeast. Tell everyone where you are. Well, I am at a place called Thousand Island Park. It is up on Wellesley Island, basically Canada. I've never been this far up north before. And it's it's an island along the St. Lawrence River, if you're unfamiliar with the area, and it is absolutely beautiful. Um, I'm, I've only been here a couple days, but I'm loving it so far. I've, I mean, the weather is perfect. It was like 60 degrees this morning, which, <laughs> I mean, in Georgia, it, it like won't become 60 degrees until October ever again. You know, like more so, like November. Yeah, honestly, yeah. So I've, I've been loving it. Um, it, it's great. I You all should check out my Instagram at cplush underscore preserves if you want to see what I'm working on up here. Yes. Um, <laughs> Shameless plug. And you can always check out my Instagram because I love Instagram. So it's this the same true. as my Twitter handle. Priority. Sure. Yeah. Anyway. Charlotte's Instagram is a lot prettier than mine, but... <laughs> Also, Charlotte and I have got a very special announcement for what's coming next on the podcast. So pretty much ever since we started this podcasting adventure, we have gotten requests to go through all of the movies individually, as in all of the Star Wars saga movies individually. Um, And we have seen all these emails and Twitter messages, and we have decided that we are going to do just that. So starting in July, actually our very next episode, we are going to be reviewing each of the Star Wars movies. And something that we're really excited about is we're actually going to be reviewing them in machete order, um, which is something that we talk about a lot here on the show. Charlotte and I are really big fans of it. And so we decided that that's how we're going to be going through each of the films. So if there are things you want us to talk about within each of the Star Wars films, uh, you can hit us up on our website, Twitter, Anything you want, email and let us know. But we are so excited to be starting this, you guys. We cannot wait. So I feel like we should just jump right into it. In part one, we have an interview with the Star Wars comics, Jim and Alex, and we're so excited for this interview. It's going to be a lot of fun. We met these guys down at Star Wars Celebration this past April, and we just had a blast getting to know them. So we're super, super excited to be talking to them on this episode. But in part two, we are going to be discussing Padme with the knife. And then in part three, we're going to be talking about the really big detail that Han Solo doesn't have a director anymore. (laughs) What's that about? (laughs) Okay, so without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? 
All right, welcome back to part one of Sky Talkers. We are so excited because we have the guys, Jim and Alex from a Star Wars comic here with us today. Hey guys, how are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, we are so excited to have you guys on the show. We've talked about this earlier, but we met Jim and Alex at Star Wars Celebration um, at the Indiana Jones Bar in downtown Disney and had pretty much one of the best nights we had at Star Wars Celebration, just talking to you guys about Star Wars. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was Yelling so about fun. the Revenge of the Sith novel. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was, it was quite a night. Just for anyone who thinks that it went down the way that it did in... Uh, and Raiders, we did not do a shot competition. <laughs> we should have. <laughs> no, Just because it was an Indiana Jones bar. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. I didn't even think we talked about Indiana Jones. That's the funny thing. Like, hard, at all. It was no, just no. <laughs> It was Star Wars sure. Celebration. No point. No point talking Indiana. I'm pretty sure I brought up Revenge of the Sith, and then we were like, let's talk about Revenge of the Sith, the novel, and how great it is for the next three hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, Jim, I still haven't read it. Aren't I a terrible person? I still haven't gotten to it yet. You know, you can't see me crying right now, None of me, <laughs> but I am. You know what's even worse is that Jim got me a copy of it for Christmas, and I still haven't finished it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm glad we're in the same camp, Alex. I'm glad we're in this together. <laughs> yeah, see, mine's way worse than yours, so don't worry about it, it. It's all right, guys. It's just, like, the best Star Wars novel ever written. It's, like, not a big deal or anything. I just, you know, maybe the, you should read it. The, the small, I'm, I'm in the, I've, I've been, uh, like right where they're fighting Dooku, like at the beginning of the book, and it's already better, like all of it. I know. The bad part is, too, that we've talked about on the podcast. I swear it's come up every episode <laughs> in some form or function, and I have to be that person that's like, I'm not there yet. I haven't read it yet. I'm sorry. And now everyone listening is hearing me say it again. So I apologize. <laughs> it's going to be hanging over your head till you do it. I know, I know. Alex, I know. why are you talking? You're not allowed I to I know, wait anything. a second. Wait Look, a second. I'm, I'm, passing, I'm passing on the obligation, all right? I'm splitting, <laughs> I'm splitting up the guilt. <laughs> well, now I just know that I need to finish it before Alex, so that's a thing I can do. Race is on. <laughs> okay, so why don't you guys tell us a little bit about a Star Wars comic for listeners who don't really know much about it? Sure, yeah. A Star Wars comic is a six-page monthly anthology series that explores the characters' uh, themes and the ideas of a galaxy far, far away. So basically, it's just we had stories we wanted to tell about specific characters and like ideas, and we this is our vehicle to do that. So. It's, it's so awesome. <laughs> it's think so. really yeah, good. Jim, Jim uh, came, came to me, like the small stories, the idea that it's anthology, six pages is... Uh, you know, it's it's a, still a small story, bigger than like some web comics that publish one page uh, a week. We do six a month, so it's still smaller than your typical comic issue, and it's doable for us in our daily, you know, go going through our daily lives too. Um, but the original idea was after Rogue One in a frenzy. I think Jim <laughs> Jim wrote the first script. He came with me, came to me with the idea of it um, for for two tubes. So. And and I like that just I don't know it fit his <clears throat> to me it was just like it was very Jim but it was also very Star Wars and it was a doable you know not not bite sized but it was a it was yeah manageable amount of comic book for you know per month for us yeah we we've been trying to do comics for a long time but it's it's it was just nothing had kind of been getting off the ground for us and. The idea of doing something really self-contained um, and like these bite-sized, because most web page comics are like 
they release one page a week or something and that's great but I think people kind of like a full like a complete story like that they can enjoy in one sitting so the idea was to take Star Wars which is our favorite thing on the planet and use that to contextualize like our stories because then I won't like since because six pages isn't a lot to tell like a story in so with Star Wars as kind of your base, it allowed us to like tell, not have to explain anything. Like people know who Benthic Two Tubes are and Jetta now and Mon Mothma and IG-88. So people could bring that to the stories and save like us the trouble of like building a lot of backstory and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and that, and it, and it's allowed us to tell stories for now six months out of this year. So it's Yeah, it was a, the realization was kind of just we'd been trying literally for five years. Uh, Jim and I have been trying to make comics unsuccessfully. We'll start and stop and start and stop and then get in a fight and then we'll drink and get over it and then we'll try again. <laughs> <laughs> and then we <laughs> forgot the part where we like hug and there was hugging. there was there was <laughs> boxing there's hugging there's all kinds of things. But but when uh, when this one happened it was just like why haven't we tried this like Star Wars seriously because both of us bonded over Star Wars. And it's just already an amazingly huge galaxy to work in. And it's an IP that is open and the expanded universe was huge, uh, you know, for, for me as a, a kid, too. And it's like, why aren't we telling these stories? Like, we could do we could do this. We could tell these stories and it, we could cut our teeth on it. You know, let's yeah, we it was, it's like a ready made universe. We wanted to tell. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really been something that we love about Star Wars is how big it is and we talk about it all the time about how many characters and how everyone knows these characters and it's so referential and you can there's just so it's such a huge playground and you guys really explore it so well in your totally beautiful comic the artwork is fantastic the writing is great i'm I'm waving my hands to fix this blush on my face (laughs) (laughs) but no really i mean i think i had never i'm embarrassed to say this but i hadn't heard of a star wars comic yet until we met at celebration and don't be embarrassed by it we just (laughs) just literally started out though But I wish I had known about it sooner because when I read Two Tubes, I was just blown away by it. Um, I think something that astounds me in all of your comics today, and I'm sure for all the future ones too, is just the depth that you guys are able to put into six pages. I mean, like you said, it's a much smaller than a regular comic and just how much feeling you're able to put into these six pages, both through the writing and through the artwork. Um, they just complement one another so well. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice. It's it's what's cool about the six pages and Alex really does a wonderful job of evoking like whatever this central idea is. But we basically are forced to distill whatever we're whatever story we're going to tell. We have to distill it down to its basic idea so that it's really bare bones. Like there's no room Mm -hmm. to like we 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 struggle constantly with we were struggling recently with actually, I think, this issue and the next issue in terms of space, because there's so much we want to tell. But we have to make sure that the story is streamlined and I, and I think it actually lends itself to a much better comic because there's not a lot of fat it's very lean mm-hmm. so. yeah it, others have actually mentioned that too that J- jim uh, writing these it was funny because he was just i remember you said uh i don't know if it was on twitter if it was in um on another podcast but he was like uh, someone asked how, how is it working in six pages and it's funny because a lot of writers struggle with six pages but Jim's forced to work in that format. So I feel like it's it's good exercise. This is 
as well as showing off his skills. There you go. I passed. There you go. I just patted you on the head, buddy. You're so sweet, buddy. (laughs) So sweet. Well, but again, no one would read the comic if it wasn't for Alex. Alex, Alex legitimizes the comic with how gorgeous it is. All right, we got it out of the way. (laughs) You guys are so nice to each other, and this is what they talked about at Celebration too. They were just constantly complimenting one another. (laughs) It's the perfect. Not always. Not always. Okay. Alex and I drive each other crazy. Like. We're definitely R2 and three or like just whatever duo you want that like kind of bickers but loves each other dearly. Like it's that's like what Caitlin we are. and I. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's what so, it takes. We enjoy our relationships, our working relationship and our friendship. But yeah, we we started with we started with two tubes and then Jim literally banged out like 800 scripts. Not really. He banged out lit- we have 15, 16, how many is it? 18. Scripts. 18 scripts and he got about six or eight of them done in a month wow. or so he had he had a Gosh. lot of ideas floating around in that not that head of his <laughs> there's a lot of star wars stories to tell him <laughs> he just yells star wars at people i just scream <laughs> at star wars from like the balcony of my apartment i just got <laughs> down the yell at them. Mm-hmm. Mom has a story and it needs to be told right by star warsing that yeah. one, when I that was one I was like, dude, we got to make this one. He was like, really? And I was like, yes, that's Mon Mothma. I mean, the story itself was great, and it told a little part of her sight or her personality that you don't see at all. I mean, all she yeah. has like four lines in all of the movies. I mean, now mm-hmm. with Rogue One, she's got a few more, but still. And and I mean, you guys saw the cut, the yeah. little the deleted scenes with her. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. so it's just so sad that they yeah. Yeah, I think the one that surprised me the most was the one about the modal nodes and figure and Dan. I just, I keep coming back to that one. I think I've reread it like three or four times at this point. And I think just the the emotion you were able to put into those drawings, Alex, were just incredible. Um, how did, did you guys talk about the tone um, together? Oh, yeah. Is that something you, you guys discussed together? Or is that more on you, Alex, when you're going through the storyboards? Uh, no, we, we definitely talked about it together. Like, what did you... When how did when did you have that idea, Jim? Was it? Um, it was one of the first ones I wrote. I wanted to do. I love silent comics because comics are a, they're a visual medium. Like, um, I love comics because they can have that emotional punch that comes with reading words. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the they are a visual medium, so I love working in silent comics. And Alex is talented enough to like communicate that. But we, we talked a lot. And if you look at the notes for the original thing, like I didn't tell Alex how to do it. Alex knows way better, but I was like, Hey, like we need to think about color in this a lot. Well, would, yeah. yeah, but you, he actually was like, and, uh, another real admit ad, something I'll admit as I haven't seen all of La La Land, I haven't gone back and watched it, but he was like, watch the end of La La Land for lighting cues. And so I went and watched mm. the end of that movie uh, for to get that jazz club feel with all those colors. Wow, that's and, so cool. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Oh, I was just gonna say it was more like because co- like people don't think about it in in comics. They tend to think of um, just words and, and pictures, you know. But color is such an important tool when you're telling a story, especially a visual story, and um, especially in comics. So like it was something that I was really excited to see what Alex was gonna do, where he really had only color and lines and basic direction for me to tell this kind of really melancholic story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Cause um, like, I'm glad that Jim posted his script because people were like, Oh, great job. Great job. And I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, he wrote it. I mean, 
the thing I've always liked about Jim's writing, and this isn't so much as me like, you know, sending him props, but also just that the thing I like about his writing is he writes it like a novel. You know, he just, he's very descriptive and he uses like his cadence and his word choice and stuff in the description of the scenes, like really paints a good picture for me to work from. And that's what mad about me was, you know, we already had started to like build that. But what's weird is that when I started working on it, you know, I sketched it all out and I was like, dude, I'm leaving for England. Uh, I went to go visit my brother lives in London <laughs> with my wife. I was like, dude, I'm leaving and we got to I got to bang this one out. And so the loose, crazy, inky style of that, which it's still all done digitally, but I used like way blobbier, bigger brushes was because I had to go in less than a couple <laughs> weeks to visit my brother in the UK and had to get it all done. And so we could we could release it. And and the color I just went, I don't know, I just went crazy. Everything I've learned about color theory from from uh, from school and after, from, like, art college and then afterwards was just, I was like, oh, I'm going to try it. Cool colors, warm colors. And I don't know if you guys know anything about art history, but there's a panel in there from Nighthawks, Edward Hopper, Nighthawks, really famous American painter I and famous that. painter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, straight up, same composition, just, like, had it, had it open in the next window kind of thing, just, like, an homage to Hopper. So, so awesome. <clears throat> That's really so it, great. There's a lot of there's a lot of craziness in that one. A lot of people say it's their favorite, and I'm glad because it's it's kind of it's it sort of epitomizes the kind of story we're trying to tell. It's mm-hmm. like really small in this giant galaxy, and it gives you this real emo- He's an alien. He's not even human. Yeah. Not that that's you know. I'm just saying he's a, he's another being, <laughs> and it's like we're as humans. How do you humanize a character that isn't in a galaxy that doesn't exist? And you know what I mean? It's like that's the power. Yeah. Of, not only Star Wars, but comics as a medium. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that people appreciate that one because it kind of, both of us, it, it has a lot of what both of us, I think, like about comics. Do you guys have a favorite comic that you've made so far before we get into your newest comic, which is awesome too? It's it's hard because I think Mad About Me is probably our fa- my favorite, but I still have a really soft spot for Two Tubes mm-hmm. just because it was our first one. Um, and there's a the page Alex did in there where it's like sort of this transition page where Two Tubes, um, if you've read the comic, Two Tubes survives like this moment with a stormtrooper who's sort of having this existential crisis. And he and he walks back to Sargera's base. And the way that Alex did the page is just gorgeous. It might be my favorite art of his on the series as a whole. So that moment in itself is probably my favorite thing. That to me feels like Star Wars and uh, also evokes what I love about comics. I agree. So. That one does really have a Star Warsy feel. And Caitlin and I talk yes. about a lot the Star Wars feeling, and that one, Two Tubes, definitely does have it. Not to say that your others don't, but I think there's something about the story that is very, I don't know, it's it's very Star Warsy. <laughs> Do yeah. you hear that you hear the uh binary sons playing when you read it for sure <laughs> i to be honest right. alex i hear binary sons all the time so. <laughs> you, should, you should get that checked out <laughs> you might go insane if you have a song trapped in your like that it's true it's true well, but i mean what a song to go insane to yeah, yeah. There you go. could be worse could be worse yeah absolutely but well, it's like um that star wars feeling is so important but mm-hmm. yeah and then we that's something that alex and i talk about too like when we make the comic is like does this feel like it belongs in the same universe as Luke Khan and Leia like and that's important because there's a lot of like not to knock anything but there's a lot of Star Wars out there that doesn't feel like that you know yeah mm-hmm. it's a really hard thing to capture 
because it is so ambiguous and you know it's not it's not something that's really concrete it's it's, it's a genre of its own at this point. yeah it is yeah like i mean i seriously that should be the uh, the metric though if you can't hear john williams playing <laughs> to it, it's not star wars because it's not <laughs> sweeping and it's not enough of a galactic opera you know it's not enough but it's, it's hard to... I'm glad you guys say that. That's really flattering. Thank you. You got to get one of those panels tattooed on you now. You said it was your favorite page, so... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that's a really that's um, a really big step. <laughs> I went with him to get one of his tattoos. <laughs> we had a we had a random let's get tattoos day. Nice. Oh, my gosh. Do you guys have Star Wars tattoos? Uh, I do. I surprisingly don't. He, actually, he got a... It was a Jedi symbol mm. on his nice. back. Something different. But. I was inspired by um, the Legacy series by Gabriel Hardman. I've always told Charlotte we should think about getting Star Wars, matching Star Wars tattoos, but she's not really into the idea. <laughs> just get just get BFFL and Arabesh. Yeah. <laughs> That's my next one. Oh my or, gosh. How do you say it? Arabesh, That's it, say Charlotte. It. That's what we're doing. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Your newest comic introduces new characters and, like, original characters. Do you think that we're going to see them again in future installments of a Star Wars comic? Not. They have no plans for the current run of a Star Wars comic. Like, we are, we have our stuff planned out till December, um, mm-hmm. which... And we love Magratan, Elib, and uh, Rad Rodan. We love them. Um, I would love to write something with them in the future um and in my like far off whimsical dreams like i've i've thought about like okay if i was to pitch something ever for like a legitimate like star wars comic um it would definitely involve them and um some of the other characters that we have coming down the pipeline too yeah so I think that's something that's really great about them, which full disclosure for our listeners, Charlotte and I got an advanced copy of the newest Star Wars comic and you guys are going to love it. Um, But what I really love about them is that in the Star Wars galaxy is that you just have all of these dozens of characters, ones we know really well and ones we don't know really well, but their stories are still existing out there, you know? And even though we just get a little piece of it, like we did with Rad and Mag in your your guys' new comic, um, we still get to enjoy that time with them and know that their adventure is continuing. And we might get to see some more of it later, but we got this great little snippet with them in your comic. Um, I think that's that's something I really love about Star Wars. The scenes with their with their ships, with um, Rad and Mag's ship, and then with the Empire too, when they're kind of out in space, were just incredible. They looked so great. Thanks. I um, when we release, we always do. Uh, Jim always writes a blog post, kind of about the making of, with a script, and then any um, re- relevant materials from the you know progress shots and stuff. And like with other ones, I, I've been tinkering with Google SketchUp lately, which is a 3D modeling software uh, that's free to use. And it's pretty powerful. Uh, and people have put models online of all kinds of stuff, all the way up to people. But they do like office chairs, you know, box trucks. Okay. But then there is a cadre of uh, people that make Star Wars vehicles. So speeder bikes, TIE fighters, prototype TIE fighters. Um, and so there was – it was – pretty easy to find some models of star destroyers and then also um, tie, tie fighters to just sort of position to make my job a little easier from keeping me having to draw like a perspective grid for every single ship. Totally. Um, but the Ash Rabbit is the name of that 
uh, ship. And I just, it's not. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I wanted to say it because Jim came up with that name and I was like, high five. Yeah, (laughs) that is great. I wanted to work the name into it, but it just didn't come naturally. Like whenever I would insert it into dialogue, like so it just, it'll remain one of those things that if you ask us, that is the name of Rad Rodan ship is the Ash Rabbit. Right, it's just so great. awesome. It's, it's such a cool really name. Really awesome. Well, it's it a fun. it's a it's a creature from Celeste, Rad's home planet. Nice. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. God, dude, your knowledge just astounds me sometimes. <laughs> um, well, I was gonna ask you, Jim, how did you come to decide on these particular characters and like their personalities and and how they interacted with each other? Because it they they were so realized in the short amount of time we got with them. You know, I bought their relationship immediately. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, um, it was kind of, I, for, I knew I wanted to tell a story. I wanted to do something with space because Alex loves drawing spaceships and we, Thanks, we, we had more space stuff. We had more space. Well, we had done a lot of terrestrial stories, so I wanted to do something, you know, cause space is obviously a big part of star Wars. They kind of came about naturally as, as like opposites, you know, like in the, in the sense that opposites attract not, you know, like, you have Rad in the second panel. It illustrates like kind of why they work so well within that idea, within that. Um, Rad is, you know, like the go-getter. He's super positive. Like he he's ready to do whatever. And Mag is going to overthink everything and be kind of snippy and negative. And, it, and somewhere in the middle of that, it just worked. So it was easy, not easy, I would say, but it felt very natural to write them and the dialogue went through definitely quite a few um, Mm -hmm. rewrites the initial like sitting down and being like okay how does how do these two relate to each other came very natural and it's that's a really wonderful feeling like when you're when you're creating something and and there's a there's a fluidity to it um but yeah hopefully that answers at one point, you did say it was like us, dude. So. Oh yeah, no, like Alex, <laughs> absolutely. Alex is like the hot shots. He's super talented. He's super positive all the time, and I am the constant overthinker um, who will tinker and 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 plan and try to figure things out. Um, so it's definitely a little bit like that. But yeah, um, I was. <laughs> You can't look at this and think that it isn't going to be somehow inspired by people that you know or yourself. Mm-hmm. To me, at least I, I saw like myself and Caitlin in it. I think that you could see any two friends really in it. You know, because yeah, that's a dynamic that that's kind of worked throughout all of history in terms of storytelling. But it's a dynamic yeah. that also works in real life. Yeah, it's a dynamic between people who have known each other for a while and have a working mm-hmm. relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah absolutely it's a thing you know which i think we're all familiar with here <laughs> yes dude you know i get every time i finish one of the especially with the uh especially with um well, i can't what am i i can't think of the one mothma one now what's lady from chandrila thank you lady from chandrila uh every especially at the end of that one like i i wrote i mean i i put the lettering in and i drew the ending of that and i read jim's script over and over you know and we're really close to these comics to where it almost feels like because the reason the dialogue was hard on this one is because we were like shuffling bubbles around and i was texting well, the dialogue was well, dialogue is super important in this one too because they're yeah. in a tiny space speaking to each other so that has to be dynamic yeah, yeah. Totally, but I was I was sending him like, what about this configuration? What about this configuration? And we were both just like screaming at each other in the phone. 
And but still, dude, I didn't tell you this today, but every time I read the end of one of the comics we've made, I get steamy, like teary eyed. I don't know why, but it's like every time we finish one because it's just like I did. We made it. We did another one. You know, like it's it's a. Uh, it's a really weird thing. Well, it's, uh, no, it's not. That sound that sounded so dramatic. I'm sorry about that. It's but. not. It's not. If for those who it's are really listening not. who have not checked out this comic, it is so well produced. Even the website is amazing. Like every mm-hmm. everything about this production that you guys put on is top notch. And I don't know how you guys aren't working for Marvel and have like a Marvel deal going on right now. It's Honestly, like, they're so good. <laughs> So Thank it's you. gonna happen by the end of the year, you know, <laughs> we'll like, and you we heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since you said that, though, shout out to uh, uh, my my brother Tony Ray. He's a graphic designer, lives in London, but he he made our logo, this ASWC, all the variations of the logo that you see. He made those. Wow. Um, and then and then our friend yeah. Jessica Stewart, uh, she we we call her Catman because <laughs> she's our she's our admin and she loves cats. But she's a, a web developer, and she helped us code our website. And like that first comic, getting it out was just kind of fallacious, and it was all just a big, a big chaotic jumble of stuff. But she somehow we managed to push it all out. And yeah, like, she did a lot of work for nothing, and, and yeah, we totally really and appreciate. She it. still maintains it and updates the site, and she keeps adding new little features for us to be able to more easily post comics and stuff. So seriously, props to uh, props to Jess. You guys have done an amazing job and everyone needs to go and read these comics. I mean, it is, it's incredible the work that you guys have put in to these comics and and we're only hearing a little bit of what goes into it. And I'm sure you guys have just put in hours and, and it's just, it's evident that it's something you're passionate about and something you really care about and you want to put out the best comic every single month and you guys have. So you guys deserve all the accolades. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad that you guys like it. We're just glad people keep reading it. So for our last question, I think we, you guys know what we're going to ask you. Um, your Star Wars dinner. If you guys are new listeners to the show, basically Charlotte and I asked all of our guests on our show who the top five people would be that they would bring to their Star Wars dinner. And anyone can come, actors, characters, living, deceased. And uh, the goal is to have great conversation. So Jim and Alex... Who would you guys bring to your Star Wars dinners? Alex, you go first. Oh. <laughs> um, so I actually had Jim Jim uh, had, had uh, told me that you guys asked this question. And I've been listening to you guys' podcast. Uh, the first list I sent to him, I was like, oh, that's easy, dude. I know the five. And I sent him like five just uh, characters off the top of my head that were all, all fictional, quote unquote. Um, so I had a question about you guys' rules. Like, if you bring the actor, are they the actor? And if you bring the character, they're the fictional character, right? You can bring whoever you, you can want. bring both. Yeah. So it's open ended. It's open ended. Yeah, right. literally whatever you want. All right. So mine was Wedge Antilles uh, okay. because I awesome. fell in love with the X-wing books. Jim should groan here because it's like I that was my experience with Star Wars. You guys talked to uh, that lovely lady who's doing the Leia Finding Leia mm-hmm. documentary. Mm-hmm. And she she talked about the expanded universe people, um, and that was me. I love Wedge until he's just like a superhero. He can't be killed in an X wing, and it's just you're, amazing. You're in good company. I feel like a lot <laughs> of people are like that. I want to bring John Boyega uh, because of his unfettered love for Hans uh, Han- Harrison Ford. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and his his ability to just be honest about his fanboyness about the whole thing, and his and his good deed 
with uh, Battlefront 2 saying DLC was going to be free or something. I heard rumors about that. Um, and then I wanted to bring Ray, uh, just because she needs. I heard you guys say that someone else like needs a good meal, but Ray seems she's yeah. such a cool. She's such a cool character. She seems like a badass. I don't know. I like her. And then Yoda she probably should have been at the top of my list. Oh wow! Um, now Yoda for, hasn't been invited yet. Yeah, dude, Yoda should be invited to everything because even if he sat in the corner, everyone would be getting wisdom. Just <laughs> he needs to lay down all of his Sun Tzu, like all of the any any kind of wisdom he has on me. But I feel like he'd be a good um, moderator. And then uh, it was between Ralph McQuarrie or Drew Struzan, um, just because I really want to meet one of those artists, either or. That would be uh, because, great. Because Ralph, Ralph McQuarrie's Star Wars wouldn't look the way it does without him, but Drew Struzan yeah. is an amazing artist who, uh, I don't know, just he's one of the last like traditional artists where you're just like, dude, you have some damn amazing illustration skills. And then as an asterisk, can I have BB-8 and R2-D2 serve drinks? Yes. We'll allow it. <laughs> They're just adorable. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love the idea of John Boyega and Ray. You know, not Finn and Ray, but John Boyega and Ray. I want to see what that interaction is. Yes. And I want to. I feel like Ray would just be trying to talk to Yoda the whole time. And John Boyega would be like, no, 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 no. Talk to me. Talk to me, Ray. And it would, just, it would be really fun. I like your dinner. Okay. So I initially had two lists. And I had to distill it down to one. And it was painful. Mine are kind of specific, like characters at specific times in their lives. But I would go with Luke from Return of the Jedi, uh, just because that's the best. I mean, I think everybody everybody agrees that's the best Luke. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then I would go with Obi Wan Kenobi, but at his at the time period in Rebels, where he's kind of waiting for the events of A New Hope to happen. And he's sort of like a sad, like a little sad guy on tattooing. I just think he's adorable and I kind of want to cheer him up. Oh, and then uh, uh, and then Leia from Empire, because Leia's Leia. And that's mm-hmm. probably at the point where she's she's so conflicted about everything. Mm-hmm. And then I want to bring in Han from Empire because they would bicker. And so that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> and then I'd really love to bring in George Lucas like right before star wars comes out like hey man this is what you have to look forward to like these are what your characters are in wow you know, five years six years because oh, i just think that's such a great were, idea like lucas lucas well just because like think about how weird it must be to be george lucas now but like right then like like the skinny like dude this most stressed he's ever been and his entire yeah <laughs> and he's like on the cusp of this thing that he doesn't really know what it is but he does and like i i can't imagine what speaking to george lucas like in that time period between yeah so it just to me would be fascinating that is such a good list you have to share list version two next time you guys come on the show Mm -hmm. yeah and or like an updated version doesn't have to be list version two but appreciate how you have like specific times you know like I, I like that you've thought about where these characters are and how you want them to interact at your dinner based on off of those timelines. I really appreciate that. Yeah, they are very different. You're right, dude. Like Han and Leia from Empire would be interesting because it's like right before it's right before they become that that unit, you know, mm-hmm. of of craziness. They're still like denying it to themselves. Well, that's what's great about Star Wars is the characters change like yeah. irrevocably. Yeah, they do. You know. And I love that you said want Obi Wan from 
rebels because I agree with you. I think that he's like he's so wise and he he knows it just, he's I don't know. <laughs> I'm like thoughtful. It's yeah, he's it. melancholy, like, you yeah. know, it really is. He's sort of transcendent, I felt mm-hmm. like. When you watch him in that episode, yes. I know it's kind of a, a big um, sticking point for people, like whether you liked it or not. Um, I, I ended up really enjoying it because of his characterization and how he's like, even though this horrible thing happened to him that completely destroyed him, like it destroyed, yeah. it seems like it destroyed his identity to a point, like he's almost become a more, uh, not more powerful, but a even more wise mm-hmm. Jedi because of and it, um, one of the strengths of the episode is that he really, that's communicated, like, in those little yeah. moments that he does have. Mm-hmm. So I just, that, that I, Obi-Wan, the Sir Alginus version of Obi-Wan is always going to be my favorite. But that point in, in his time period is just fascinating to me. It is, because there's so much we still don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though he does have all of that new wisdom, there is still that, that tinge of sadness around him as well that also comes across so beautifully in the episode. Yeah, I, yeah, that was a good pick. Charlotte, we're going to have to do an updated Star Wars dinner for ourselves because I don't think we've done us since since we started the podcast. That's true. Well, listen. You, guys, you guys' feelings have probably changed, just to say. <laughs> well, we've heard so many great ideas, things we wouldn't have even ever considered. Like um, Dr. Annalise Ophelian from Looking for Leia, she brought Carrie Fisher and Princess Leia to her dinner. And my mind was just blown. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the ones I listened to. I was like, oh, wow, I mean, that's, that's a crazy idea. Yeah. I did not want to pick Mark Hamill or Carrie Fisher because they are like givens at this point mm-hmm. on your podcast. Like, because they, they're fascinating. They'd be great at any dinner. Mm-hmm. Like, they'd yeah. be great at any time. You know, I want to say, though, that one of the people I had cut and switched from my list was Ewan McGregor, just himself. But, like, now that you've said Obi-Wan, but I just I just want to meet Ewan McGregor. So like, do I. I I even like you know, the island. I really do. You probably want to meet him for the same reason I do. He's a handsome devil and he's got a Scottish accent. <laughs> oh, yeah, he is. sure. And like, <laughs> he is. And at this point, it's hilarious that how much he wants to be in an Obi-Wan movie and wants to come back. Mm-hmm. As an, it would like, be amazing, though. That would be so cool. I know. I think. I think. <laughs> the whole dinner would just be planning out what Obi-Wan's been doing and what the movie is going to be. So I could totally yeah. get behind that. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this segment in this interview with Jim and Alex from a Star Wars comic. Um, could, guys, could you tell everyone where they can find your comic and where you are on social media and how they can get in contact with you guys? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we are at a star Wars comic.com and then you can find us on Twitter at a star Wars comic and Facebook at a star Wars comic. Oh, and Instagram now, right, Alex? At a yeah. Star I'm really bad about the social media thing. Uh, so the Instagram is not as well maintained as the other ones, but yes, it is all anything at a Star Wars comic. Uh, the, name was, the name was not taken. Uh, that domain was free, so go us, I guess. Yeah, kind of shocking. <laughs> I know, it really is. I figured at least one Korean firm would have bought it, you know, prospecting, be like, someone's going to want this one and we're going to sell it to him for like 10 grand, but nope, no one had taken it. It was meant to be your destiny, you could say. The force works in mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> and as a reminder, your comic comes out every 25th of the month. Yes. Because that's oh. when Star Wars was released. So, yeah, so if you want to find it, it's going to be on the 25th of every single month. Thank you for reminding us. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. We are so excited, and we can't wait until you guys are on again in the future. Yeah, thank you for having thank us. You. You, you guys are wonderful. 
All right, welcome back to part two of Sky Talkers. And in this section, we are going to be talking about Padme with the knife. Now, I know this was floating around Twitter a couple weeks ago. So, of course, we needed to talk about it here because Charlotte, of course, is our resident Padme lover. Um, so what was your first reaction to this, Charlotte? So, obviously, I have known this for a while because I have the Revenge of the Sith concept art book. I love that photo that's all red and her in the cloak and everything. It's been in my conscience for a while about Padme. I don't know. It's interesting to me that it's been brought up again. And I guess it's because new details emerge, but not like groundbreaking details. So for those that are unfamiliar, it was written in the book. You know, I'm just going to read a quote from Ian McCaig. For me, this was the saddest moment in the prequels, when Anakin turns on the woman he loves. Early on, we proposed that she actually brought a knife with her to Mustafar, intending to kill Anakin, then drops the knife during the kiss, knowing that she can't kill the man she loves. So... In Revenge of the Sith, when Padme goes to Mustafar, it was originally written that she was going to have a knife and she was potentially bringing that for protection or to kill Anakin because she thought that it would come down to that. Um, Personally, I have always liked how the knife was kind of badass and like cool and not very Star Wars either. It's like kind of super Shakespearean to me, the whole knife thing. But it's, it's not one of my favorite I'm glad that they cut it out. I really am. What do you think, Kaylin? I think so, too. I think, and I think, like you said, too, this this um, has kind of always been in the back of my head because I'm sure we've talked about it at some point or I've seen, yeah. like, gone through the books that you have. So I feel like it was something I knew, but I don't think I'd ever paid much attention to it because I think, like you, I, I kind of liked that they dropped it. Um I mean, I, I love the idea of Padme having more agency and being, being willing to take that step to kill Anakin. Um, but one, I, I don't know if I would have liked the actual knife. I mean, I, I get what you're saying about it being very Shakespearean and very tragic. Um, but I'm also kind of thinking, you know, who uses knives as weapons in the Star Wars universe? But that's um, why it's cool. I mean, yeah, but it would just be out of place. I feel like I feel like we would be critique if that scene was in there. I feel like we would be critiquing it, going, "Why would she bring a knife? Who brings a knife? Padme uses a blaster. Why is she using a knife? You know, like where did okay where did she get that knife? Uh, you know. Um, so I think it's cool in concept, but I don't think it would have translated as well as some people seem to think it might have. Um, and when I was kind of thinking about it, as far as you know, Padme having the the chutzpah, if you will, to to kill her husband, it, it kind of took me back. I was thinking about her conversation with Obi-Wan and how, you know, Obi-Wan tells her that Anakin killed the younglings. But, I mean, I kind of think about Padme's mindset that she was going to Anakin to find out of the, the truth. And if she decides to bring a weapon, it's kind of like her saying that she believes what Obi-Wan says and that Obi-Wan was right and that Anakin really did kill the younglings. But she doesn't want to believe that, so she doesn't bring a weapon because she she doesn't think that Anakin could ever do that. Do you, do you know what I mean? I do, but I disagree because she does know Anakin could do it because she saw Anakin murder the Sand People, and that's what makes her so worried and makes her 
go to Mustafar to begin with. But the problem that I have always had with the knife is that the great parallel between Padme and Luke is that she also believes that there's good in Anakin. Mm-hmm. So to me, her bringing the knife to kill Anakin kind of diminishes that whole part of her character, which is probably why they got rid of it to begin with. No, I see what you're saying. It's an, it's important for that parallel to be there. And, and that's the thing. It's like I see the side of the argument that says, you know, we love Padme as the politician. And we love that side of her. And that's where she is really, you know, the strongest, I think. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. So to think that she would be willing to go to such extremes for the rebellion, for, you know, democracy, democracy and peace, you know, as far to kill her husband, I think would really strengthen that in her character. But I don't know if it would if it would help the bigger picture. I mean, I think that's what a lot of people forget about the prequels and particularly Revenge of the Sith is that it is a tragedy. It's supposed to be tragic. You're supposed to look at these characters and say, no, don't do that. That's, you know, that you shouldn't be doing that. You should be making different choices. But that's not what happens. Totally. It's super fun to debate this kind of stuff. And I wish mm-hmm. that more of these small choices that they've made in the developmental stage kind of came out. Because this is one that's, like, been really impactful and mm-hmm. cool. Um, I'd love to hear more about what kind of changes they made in the prequels um, regarding certain characters. You see, the thing that I I think we would both agree probably that the more impactful scene would be her starting, you know, the Seeds of the Rebellion deleted. Oh, yeah. Of course. I love those yeah, deleted scenes. See, that-, that I think would go 10 times farther for Padme and her character than, you know, Padme with the knife. Yeah, for sure. Because then it lays the groundwork of her starting the rebellion and being there for its mm-hmm. beginnings. And uh, it does create another parallel between her children. And uh, mm-hmm. I wish that was in there. Yeah. See that one. I think I, I miss that one. I don't, I don't think I'd feel the same way about Padme with a knife. Same. But the thing that always makes me feel better, I don't know if better is the right word, but that I appreciate about the prequels and about George Lucas is that I know that every decision that he made was thought out. You know, he things like deleted scenes like that, he did for a reason. I don't know if I agree with those reasons necessarily, but I appreciate that I know that George Lucas was taking the time to think about those things. I don't think there were many things that were just a, a coincidence or a, oh, that's how it is, so I guess we'll leave it kind of thing, you know? I mean, obviously, there are a lot more deleted scenes and and intricacies of Padme's character that we could talk about, but we'll have to save that for another segment because we are moving on to part three. Woohoo! Yippee! Okay, so welcome back to part three, and um, huge news. So we have to talk about this. Originally, we had something else planned for this segment, but but we scrapped it. But we had to scrap it because Han Solo doesn't have a director anymore. So initial thoughts, Caitlin. Oh, initial thoughts were WTF, what is, what's going on? (laughs) I think, and I think a big part of it was, aren't they, aren't they almost done shooting that film? They have one month left. How do you get rid of a director, two directors with a month left of filming? You know, that's not that's not like you changed your mind at the beginning and you're like, oh, you know, actually, it's not going to work out. That's like you've got a good chunk of work done. Okay, so maybe I should read the press release from Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, so this is Kathleen Kennedy. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller are talented filmmakers who have assembled an incredible cast and crew. But it's become clear that we had different creative visions on this film and we've decided to part ways. 
a new director will be announced soon. So then, Phil you're, Lord. You're, firstly, your Kathleen Kennedy interpre- um, impression is not there. We need to work on it. <laughs> I wasn't trying to, imp- like, okay. Clearly. Clearly you weren't. <laughs> but, okay, so this is Phil Lord and Christopher Miller's statement. Unfortunately, our vision and process weren't aligned with our partners on this project. We normally aren't fans of the phrase creative differences, but for once this cliche is true. We are really proud of the amazing and world-class work of our cast and crew. Okay, so Mm. it's very clear that they were fired and everything that's come out is has made that abundantly clear that Kathleen Kennedy was not happy with whatever she saw, the dailies that she saw of the untitled Han Solo project. Um, And it was not up to the Star Wars tone that she was expecting, which is interesting given that the whole idea about the anthologies is that they're going to have their own unique. That they can be super different. Yeah, that they can, like, push boundaries. And that's why they brought on Lord and Miller. Like, they're amazing comedic directors. The movies that they've produced have been very well-received. And I think Lawrence Kasdan even wanted, like, he really pushed for them to be brought on. So it's it's just so interesting that this, this is kind of like a... It just keeps happening with these movies. It's just, oh, that's, my God. That's the thing. It's like I have such conflicting feelings about it because on the one hand, I'm I'm thinking, you know, I'm glad Kathleen Kennedy and the story group know exactly what they want. And I'm glad that they're not afraid to make big choices like this, you know, to make sure that they're getting the story that they want. The other side of me is thinking, one, like you said, aren't these anthology films supposed to be a chance to to have a new tone, to do something different in the Star Wars world? Isn't that what these films are for? It's a chance to have something really unique that we haven't seen yet in the Star Wars world yet. You know, we always talk about that Star Wars feeling. I kind of see the anthology films, especially now that Rogue One is kind of not out of the way, but we know that it works. You know what I mean? For things like Han Solo to really take a creative leap and do something completely different that we probably would never see in a saga film. And then another part of me is thinking okay, they're really far into this process. How were there not agreements? Like if, if if the story group knows what they want, how they want this film to feel, which clearly they do, how is how and why was that not articulated clearly enough to Lord and Miller at the beginning of this project? Does that make sense? I see what you're saying, but I honestly feel like they didn't really make it clear what they wanted. They... The whole idea, like you said, is to come in and put your own stamp on it and like do your own thing and have creative freedom. Even Ryan Johnson just came out and said he's had just as much creative freedom on The Last Jedi as he has on all his past films. I don't know if Lucasfilm really was totally committed to this idea of having like this new artistic, totally off the wall film that they they I don't know. I don't know. I just think I that mean, I could it's... never see Han Solo as being an artistic film. Okay. No, you know that's what I mean? not what I mean. The, but yeah. it's they, they were going to produce a comedy. There was going to be way more humor in this Han Solo movie and have a much brighter tone than, like, say, Rogue One. It was going to be completely akin to... That's why they brought in these guys, because they're comedy directors. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. But if Lucasfilm hired these guys for that purpose... 
then what what went wrong you know I guess that's I what know. I want to know is is did Lucasfilm get did they think Lord and Miller were pushing too far you know Han Solo is such a legacy character you don't want to you don't want to mess with him too much you, like I want to know what the creative differences were I'm kind of tired of hearing about creative differences but I want to know what they were it's such a blanket statement it can mean a lot of different things I know well, it's just interesting given that Rogue One, I mean, I'm so, and I've kind of zoned it out too. I'm so done hearing about the stupid reshoots of Rogue One. Clearly, Kathleen Kennedy and the team knew what they wanted to get out of that movie, and Gareth did not really deliver in that initial cut, and therefore had to, they had to up their budget, hire like this new guy to do basically everything, and like ghost direct and write this whole new basically a new movie essentially and i i I assume that the same thing is gonna happen with this one they kept gareth on to keep face but it's lord and miller were like not gonna do the same thing they were not they were like i'm done i'm not gonna put my name on something that's not mine it's just so strange that this is now the third right the third time this has happened what are what is Lucasfilm not communicating well enough with their directors and you know people who are making these films who are there day in and day out? What's not getting across to them? Because Lucasfilm has a vision, and that needs to be told to people like Lord and Miller and Gareth Edwards in a clear cut way that you know this is what you need to be doing, and if you're not doing this, you're gonna you know you're gonna be the weakest link and goodbye kind of thing. Um, Because it's not fair to these directors if they're being told you have all this creative freedom and then if Lucasfilm doesn't like it, it's like, okay, no, never mind, bye. No, I definitely think this is a turning point. It has to be. And I think that moving forward, these anthology films, I don't know, we were talking about this the other day, like you and I, Caitlin, about how like Rogue One, even though it's an anthology film and not essentially part of the saga, it can stand with some of the saga films in its own marathon, in its own mm-hmm. way. And I think Kathleen Kennedy kind of likes that about that film. And I am sure that she wants to keep that feeling in Star Wars as much as she can. And the further they go away from that, I don't know. I, I don't know. The Han Solo movie is so complicated because... So many people aren't excited about it. I'm happy about it, but it's like I'm not that excited about it, you know? So, and I was really pro these two directors doing it because I thought that it would be really interesting and what they had come up with um, in their previous films had been well-received. I thought it was a good choice. And I don't know, maybe maybe it wasn't. Clearly it wasn't. (laughs) You know, the thing is, is that now it's, just like with Rogue One, it's always a question of, well, what was the movie originally? You know, if if it's not... Luckily, Rogue One was pretty well-received, but even though that movie was so well-received, we're all still asking, what was, you know, what was the original cut? What was the original cut? What, you know, what are we missing? You know, all that speculation. What if the Han Solo movie isn't as well-received? The, the question is going to be, well, what were Lord and Miller going to do? I know. You know? And I wonder, I wonder if it was a question of tone of the film or if it was their treatment of the character uh, mainly Han Solo or some of those other characters because that's not like with Rogue One where you have completely new set of characters where you can kind of do whatever you want I mean Han Solo and everyone else in that film or a lot of characters in that film 
have background, they have reputations, they have legacies, and you can't, yeah. you got to be careful with how you handle those. So I wonder, I wonder where the problem came in, you know? Um, I have a quote from Lo- Phil Lord that I want to read because it's interesting in retrospect. This is an old quote. He says, I sort of relate to Han Solo. He doesn't want to do anything he's told. When he's told not to do something, it makes him want to do it more. Oh, gosh. So, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what was happening within Lucasfilm that he had to make that petty remark? <laughs> oh, my gosh. When was, okay, but when, when was that? I feel, like, I, I feel like it was around Celebration Europe where they appeared. And it's kind of curious that they weren't at Celebration Orlando. Well, that's the thing. Everyone kept thinking we were going to see something from Han Solo, and we didn't. I know. So I wonder if this was, if there were already frustrations brewing. Like, okay. So I realize that this happens a lot in the industry. It doesn't happen this late in the game, but it does happen that, like... But now this is the second time it's happened with a Star Wars movie. I know. And... But I truly believe that it shows us that Kathleen Kennedy has, for lack of a better term, a backbone chutzpah. and you love that word. Today. I love the word <laughs> and the, you know, a clear vision of what she sees out of the Star Wars saga that she's putting her own stamp on. She does. And that's the thing that I so appreciate about her. And I love that she has that vision because so far I've been on board with her vision. You know, and, and I think I think I'll continue to be as well. I just I just want to know what what that communication is looking like. What well, what's going on between because these people these these movies aren't made in a vacuum. There are hundreds of people, and the story group. I'm sure someone from the story group is on that set pretty frequently. I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. So it's how just did like, it get this far? I don't know until. Yeah. Kathleen Kennedy produces a movie that's like not well received or a Star Wars movie that I'm not fully 100% obsessed with, then I'm going to totally trust her decision. But this mm-hmm. is like shocking information. <laughs> it is. It is. And a part of me, I, I feel bad for Lorda Miller. I felt bad for Gareth Edwards um, that they, I mean, that's got to be a hard pill to swallow to think that like Star Wars, you know, you get to do Star Wars and right. then do all of this work, literally all of this work, not not a little bit of work, pretty much all the work. And then you're just cut off like I that. Know. Or in Gareth Edwards's case at the end, you know, they said, oh, yeah, no, we don't we don't really like this version. Lil JK, we're going to redo it our way. That's got to be a hard pill to swallow. I know. As a creator, it's mm-hmm. awful. Yeah. But I mean, like I said, I I admire Kathleen Kennedy and the whole story group for knowing what their vision of Star Wars is and keeping that vision no matter what the cost is. That's also a hard thing to do. And I just, full disclosure, we're recording this on a Wednesday. So mm-hmm. when this episode is released on Saturday, we could have a totally new director. I'm not sure. So things could have changed. But Do you think it's going to be Kyle Newman? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so end of conversation. <laughs> Um, but I think that should wrap up this discussion. We'll obviously be talking about Han Solo, you know, as much as we possibly can if things <laughs> continue to be so dramatic. It's funny. This is the most airtime Han Solo has gotten on our podcast so far. I know. Because we I just know. haven't been super jazzed. Yep. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. Please rate and review us on iTunes. It seriously helps us out. You can find us on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod, on Instagram now at SkyTalkersPodcast, and on our website, SkyTalkers.com. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us with any comments or critiques or suggestions about this week's episode or really any episode we've ever done now, (laughs) in the past, in the future, whatever you want, whenever you're listening. Also, if you like what we're doing and you want to support us, head on over to our Patreon page. And if you don't know, our Patreon page will now be featuring additional monthly mini episodes. We actually just finished one for June. So every month we're going to record something on a topic and you can totally suggest the topics for us because we're open to suggestions. Um, And we want to take a moment to thank our patrons, Amy, Emma, and Chuck. Thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sky Talkers, This Galactic Life, part of the Assembly of Geeks podcasting network. Find the girls on skytalkers.com and we'll see you next time.